All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. The content of this radio show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Welcome to One Soul Radio, an interactive conscious conversation grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome everyone to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. We are the show for you and by you, a virtual community creating conscious conversation and the opportunity to have a place to delve a little bit deeper into your life than you may do on your own. We are the show that is grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit, offering you a perspective from both sides of the fence in a way that you're not apt to find anywhere else to the best of our knowledge. My name is Callie Alpert. I'm here in Long Island, New York with my dear friend, co-host and psychotherapist, Steve Hassenberg. Hello, Callie. Hello, Steve. It's an overcast day in Los Angeles. <laughs> Let's get these unsolicited weather reports from you. Go ahead. Tell me more. And I'm having a difficult time being imperfect today. Oh, really? Yeah. Are you good at it on other days? Yeah, uh, you know, I'm wor- it's a work in progress, but I thought this show would help me today. All right, good. Well, maybe we can help with your imperfections to help them emerge. Thank you for the segue. So <laughs> do you put pressure on yourself to be perfect? Have you imposed unrealistic standards on other people? I know I certainly have. Or perhaps you're curious, maybe even in love with and able to embrace the imperfect parts of yourself and those around you. Also, what kinds of aesthetics are you drawn to? Do you like polished things, new, symmetrical things, or do you find beauty in people and things that are a little more scrappy and imperfect? Well, today, Becoming Perfectly Imperfect is our show. We will help you to recognize your perfectionistic tendencies and offer ways to embrace all the parts of yourself that are beautifully imperfect. Hmm. Hmm. Good idea. You like it? Yeah, I so do. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to hear from you to share your stories, your thoughts, ask questions, get some guidance. The number is 816-251-3555. So we're going to start with one of Steve's favorite expressions, which I'm still learning because I'm not familiar with this ideology, which is, is it wabi-sabi? Is that how you pronounce it? Wabi-sabi. Tell me more. Okay, wabi-sabi comes from the Japanese. It's a Japanese philosophy. Mm-hmm. And it started when the tea ceremony began in Japan. And sometimes they did tea ceremonies with very simple cups. And sometimes they did them with very elegant cups. Mm. And they made the distinction between simplicity and elegance. And so. And so wabi means simplicity, modesty, and austere elegance. Oh, I like, you did some research. Well, I I thought we were going to do a show today. (laughs) I appreciate it. It's good. It's really interesting. That's the wabi part. Mm -hmm. And the sabi part is the beauty that, that arises from aging 
and loneliness, if you can imagine that, that there's a beauty in loneliness mm. that they actually talk about in the haiku poetry, which we're going to talk about and I will read later in the and show. I'm excited to hear your haikus. But thank you. And the other part of Savi is the silence of mind that is accepting of all things. Mm. So there's a combination of simplicity, modesty, quiet mind, and openness to things that are difficult or imperfect. Oh, I love that. That's so beautiful. Just those um, two polarities living and kind of coexisting more peacefully together is what I'm hearing. Exactly what it is. That's so beautiful. I really love that. Um, I know some of the other words that had sort of come up when we were planning the show were um, the idea of transience. I'm not sure if you said that you may have. I might be repeating. No, um, we didn't. Transience. Yeah. Mm hmm. Sort of right, fluidity, like things that are in constant motion are constantly changing. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because the, the idea of this, first of all, it sounds beautiful now that I have a better understanding of it because the um, expression was something that was pretty unfamiliar to me when you first brought it up. Um, but it really does help to offer a deeper appreciation and acceptance of life if we can look at things coexisting like that or not being too attached to the elegant and also appreciating the simple. Yeah, most of the old languages, whether it's Sanskrit or Chinese or Japanese, the language, the words themselves contain opposites. Mm -hmm. So they're more familiar with the idea of accepting life. Mm -hmm. And we're less familiar with that idea. We like life the way we like it. Yeah, that's that's the big that's the biggest core lesson on well on a bottom line that I'm constantly trying to bring myself back to is accepting what is and that the idea of projecting what does what isn't is what causes us strife and struggle and pain. So true. Right. So yep. we'll kind of just cut through all the muck and get right to that and present that to our dear listeners. Um, let's talk a little bit about perfectionism. And I see that we already have um, a caller or two that are lined up, so we're looking forward to getting to them in a few moments. Thank you for joining us. Um, let's talk a little bit about the concept of perfectionism on one side of the wabi-sabi continuum, right? Um, perfectionism is a striving for flawlessness um, accompanied by evaluation of ourselves or others, right? Yep. Um, I, are you perfectionistic? I was going to say perfection. The, the definition of perfectionism is me. <laughs> Not it, but in this current version of you or something from your uh, past, I would imagine. Uh, in the portfolio, a past version of me. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. So yes, uh, I would, I, I was thinking about it last night. And I thought the more that I doubted myself, the more perfectionistic I was. Because that's sort of the antidote. It's not the real one, but it's the one that our kind of monkey brains think is the the way to um, cancel out the doubt. Yes, if I could be good enough, <clears throat> wise enough, yeah, potent enough in certain areas. Mm -hmm. then I would accept myself. Mm -hmm. 
And that's kind of an, uh, an irony too, um, because you think about so many people that are high performance people that are wildly successful. I use that word in quotes and, you know, that are um, in high regard or famous or highly achieved at whatever their industry is. And a lot of people look at that as an enviable thing. And yet I would imagine that behind that for a lot is the drive that, was this compensatory kind of dynamic that you're talking about. Wasn't it that Sally Fields moment at the Oscars where she oh, said, yeah. oh, you do love me, don't right. you? You really love me. You really love me. Yeah, yeah. And we're all looking for that, right? Yeah, yeah. Because we don't have enough of it for ourselves. Yeah, it's true. I don't... Um, so there's different versions for me of perfectionism as I've gotten in touch with it for myself. When I was a kid, I certainly didn't know it at the time, but looking back, you know, straight A student, little miss academic this and, you know, oratorical contest that and competitive. I wasn't competitive, super competitive as a human, I think, by nature, but I was so um, interested in achieving or proving something to somebody. I mean, now I know now I know a lot more about what that was about, but at the time you don't really realize it, you know. Um, and when I, as I've gotten older, I realized the hidden versions of perfectionism. It was actually um, a therapist of mine in New York City many years ago who told me how hard I am, I am how hard I am on myself, and I had no idea that I was. Mm-hmm. Now right. I'm very clear on it because it comes in forms that can be a little hidden and perhaps a little insidious. Like, you know, if you're inclined, it's, it doesn't necessarily have to look like the kind of the typical perfectionism where you're super tidy in your thoughts or, you, you know, OCD kind of behaviors or, um, you know, being putting a lot of pressure on yourself, you know, that are sometimes are louder versions of perfectionism. You know, one of the ones that I've learned, I'm still like actively working on now, has more to do with the kind of do more, be more, you know, um, take on more over responsibility, um, stretching myself, you know, wider um, to, you know, to kind of uh, just to more spinning plates, which is something not conscious of, but it's definitely something that I've become aware is a is a, a version of perfectionism or a version of trying too hard. One of mine, which is we're talking about subtle versions. Yeah. My subtle version was I was very hard on my graduate students. Ah. Not, not all of them, mm-hmm. but a few of them that I thought could be much better than they were. And um I got in a lot of hot water with them because of that, because they thought I was too critical. And what I didn't know at the time was that it was my self-criticism projected outward that was going on, and I didn't see it at all. Yeah. And it was that perfectionism I was talking about that I wasn't good enough, so I wanted other people to live up to higher standards. Mm-hmm. That's right? how it happens. It's like if what what's the expression? If you spot it, you got it. Oh, that's it. Right. <laughs> so we have a caller on the line. Let's see if I can get this person. Caller, are you there? Yes. Hi. Hi. Can we have your name and where you're calling from? Um, Francis from Chicago. Hi, Francis. Thanks for joining us. Do you have a question, comment, story about perfection or in, imperfection? Well, I just, I, it's something I've struggled with my whole life. So I guess if you have any like quick and easy tools with dealing with 
perfectionism. It, it's kind of crazy that I ended up, I don't normally listen to your show. I was listening to the one before it, and then I kept listening, and I, I actually made an appointment to talk to somebody, and it's about perfectionism and some other issues. So it was pretty amazing that your show came on with this topic today. It's like somebody's pointing me towards you. <laughs> oh, we're so glad. And that's that was our show on synchronicity that we did a few weeks ago, too. So yeah. you're living proof. Oh, we're happy to have you with that. us. So thanks for staying with us. Um, before you. we delve into how we can perhaps offer you some um, feedback, can you give us, um, if you're comfortable, can you give us some versions of where you struggle with it or um, well, the, the ways in which it comes up for you? Yeah, like one thing is, is um, procrastination, and I'm very all or nothing. So, for example, you know, Easter's coming up this weekend. Um, I'm not prepared. I, I have a bunch of cleaning to do, and then I'm going to have to shop for food and and then prepare the food and just dealing with others' expectations. And then I, just, I get so overwhelmed, and, of course, mm-hmm. then I don't want to do anything. I just want to give up, and, that, and then that makes it worse, you know. Totally understand. So um, what we're going to do, I'll, I'll give you a few, a little feedback now, but at the end of our show, if you can hold on till then, we're going to give some, at least three pointers for beginning to deal with perfectionism. So what I can give you as a suggestion is that for myself, so much of my perfectionism came from not uh, believing in myself enough. And I think that's really the core and the root of it. It has so much to do with believing um, in a sense, how do I put it? Knowing who you really are. Your and true essence, you would say. My, I would often say your true essence, right? Knowing who you are but also celebrating all the wonderful capacities and talents that you already have and giving yourself some wiggle room in that area. I have my clients write a list of 25 things that they like, that they love about themselves. And I have them put those 25 little sayings in a beautiful bowl And every day I have them choose one of them, pick them out randomly, and act as if they were true, because we don't often think that they're true. And so that would be one thing I could give you that has helped really hundreds of my clients over, over the years, because it has so much to do with grounding yourself in what you like and love about yourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, what do you think, Callie? Well, I think that, um, first of all, I, I do believe that that works. I can attest to that sort of exercise working. And I think that um, as I listen to you talk, Steve, it really is about the shifting of your focus and what you're putting your attention on as well. I think we're also inclined as humans to really focus on the tougher things in our lives, our tougher circumstances, our faults, our deficits, um, and the types of examples, Francis, that you so candidly offered, which are very, very um, common. So you're certainly not alone. I think a lot of us struggle 
um, with like the kind of example that you shared. But I do think that the more you start to shift your focus and and let the it's almost like the their seeds that start growing. Like Steve was saying, you know, if you take all the seeds that are on those pieces of paper and the list that you um, about your own um, your own uh, self worth, right, right, self worth and positive traits. And your thoughts, you know, you put your focus on them. It's almost like you're watering a plant and you will feel those seeds growing. Um, does that connect for you? Yeah, that makes sense because I, I think, yeah, I think a lot of times I probably don't feel that I'm, I'm good enough. And I, I'm seeking, like like you said about Sally Field, like I'm seeking the um, praise from other people yeah, but right. i don't mm-hmm. necessarily give it to myself you know i mean i know that i have i have a lot of good qualities but it's you know some of my qualities that i struggle with and then i beat myself up and i i just put so much pressure on myself and then it's just something that it you know i've never been able to conquer you know so i just mm-hmm. i need uh i need some help <laughs> Yeah, well, you're doing the you're you're conquering it now just by talking about it and saying it out loud. So, just want to honor that for a minute, you know, because oh, a lot of us get you. stuck in these habits or these reflexes that we have. Because um, I, I would say all of us, at least daily, have something we're worried about. Somebody we're worried that we disappointed. Something we didn't show up for into full capacity. And so, I think just to recognize it and give it some, you know, get it some give it some release is is, no, is step number one. Um, I also understand, too, when you're in that circumstance, like everything where, you know, that Steve um, was offering is a really powerful exercise and something that's going to take some time if you decide to commit to it. It is a commitment to yourself. Yeah, Um, I actually, just to preface that, footnote it, um, I tell my clients to do that for six weeks Mm -hmm. because it takes about 40 days to create a new habit. Mm -hmm. And what you'll find if you do practice is that instead of thinking about the negative stuff about yourself, you'll start automatically and naturally thinking about the good stuff about yourself. Yeah, it's really, it's true. And then what starts to happen is you, um, a a few things start to happen because I, it's truly, this is just something, it's like a very active work in progress for me. So I'm speaking from like direct experience that number one, you um, you when you, you catch yourself in those reflexes where you're worried that you're disappointing someone or you're procrastinating or you're judging yourself, or you're getting frustrated that you didn't do X, Y, and Z. Um, number one, you can in the moment stop and say, what's the real intention there? You know, am I do who am I doing this for? And you just sort of create a little space around it and you notice it in the moment. And then the other thing that starts happening is when all the perfection imperfections start coming up, you start sort of making friends with them you know, and being way less apologetic for them. And these, both of these things are, you know, true. Like I said, they've both happened for me very loudly, especially in this last year. So I hope that helps. Okay. Yeah. You know, like the thing is, I, you know, I'm one of those people, like I can, I can clean if I know that somebody's coming over, I need that pressure to do it at the last minute. I just don't want to do it without, you know, for some reason I can't do it for myself and my family. I only do it for, you know, other people and what, what they'll think of me, you know, I can't do it Mm. for for myself. My mother did that all the time. I said, mom, what are you doing? She said, you know, the relatives are coming over. So there was a lot of motivation. (laughs) And I think we all have that. Yeah, yeah. You know, we do it for others rather than doing it for ourselves. 
So then it becomes, yeah, is yeah. it because you really don't want to do it, period, or because somehow you feel like you slash your family are not, for lack of a better word, deserving of it. And that's something that might be helpful to parse out, too. You know, it's like that, oh, we talked about this on a show a few shows ago um, about trying to be um, treat yourself like you're, you would treat your best friend and try to adopt mm -hmm. that. You know, just play with that every once in a while. And it's really interesting how your behaviors change and your choices change. I hope that yeah, helps. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you, Francis. Appreciate you calling in. Thank you for come, taking my call. You're welcome. It's our you're pleasure. Come, come visit us again soon. We're here every Thursday. I will. I will. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. So we have, an, we have another caller we're going to hold until um, we have a few minutes before our break so that we don't have to cut them short. And... Then we'll. Can you hear? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. So I can't understand your. Uh, some of our listeners don't know that we can actually. Steve and I can see each other. So he's giving me a hand signal, but I'm not understanding it. So I'll have to talk about it later. Um, so that was really. Um, I think what uh, what Francis brought up is so um, common. It's so standard. Maybe dare I say more in women than in men. The people pleaser, the overextending. I, I think the, so. I actually think that men hide it more. Oh, maybe that's what it is. You know, I think women are more honest about it. Mm. Uh, I dare say as a man that women are more honest about their feelings anyway. Mm -hmm. And men are taught to hide them. Yeah. And so for a man to say that he was a perfectionist could be much more difficult than a woman saying it. Although, you know what, to that point, actually, I'm thinking that I've experienced people, and if I had to generalize, no, I won't even generalize. I'll just, I was going to say, I was going to generalize it, that it comes more from men, but I won't do that. I've heard <laughs> a lot of people talking about how um, they almost embrace their perfectionism as if it's a um, badge of honor, of hard work and ambition. Have you experienced that before? Yes, you know, like, uh, certainly in certain careers. Mm -hmm. So if I if I have lawyers coming in to see me, so lawyers, I'm not. I don't want to generalize that much, but most of the lawyers I see are quite perfectionistic. Mm -hmm. Certainly about their work, and maybe they have to be. There's certain. Uh, being an artist is a very difficult profession, mm -hmm. and artists are always seeing beyond what they do. Mm -hmm. And they're always pushing themselves, trying to be at edges. And so they're rarely satisfied. But being rarely satisfied often keeps the creativity moving. Yeah, that's true. That sense of angst and that sense of dissatisfaction can be extremely motivating for people, I guess. It's like they say that the greatest songs are written out of pain and not right. out of joy, right? Yeah. Um, so I guess that there's something to be said about that. But I was just thinking as I'm listening to you talk, I was just thinking about the idea of perfectionism as something that I, uh, people revere and that I think our culture often celebrates and perpetuates or couches as being something admirable. Well, it certainly does in terms of bodily image. Yes, that's very true. I mean, women have to go through this constantly. Yeah to compare themselves against supermodels. Yeah. And uh, that kind of perfectionism has been so detrimental to women. Men don't care about it that much. 
right? It's true. You know, I, I often talk to my cl female clients about that, and they say, "Don't men care about that?" And they go, "No, we have we we don't care much at all." And is that because the men don't care, or is that because, um, well, at least with heterosexual relationships, women are more accepting of women, imperfections in, in men's bodies than men are in, in women's bodies? Always. Yeah, so it's tricky. I don't know what our big conclusion is, but I know we're, there's something in something here. Something that needs to change. Yeah, yes, it's true. Lots of these things do need to change. It's definitely true. Would you like to share a haiku? How about if I share a haiku now and one afterwards? That would be great. Let's do it. So just so people know, a haiku is a 17-syllable poem that I've been reading since I was about 19 years old. I was very attracted to Japan, the Japanese culture. Mm -hmm. I, I would say I'm an, a Japanophile. Yeah, you have told some trippy stories about that before. So I studied a lot of haiku and wrote some haiku. Is it five seven five? My remembering it's five, from like fifth seven, grade. Five. All right, look at that. I still have a little bit of well, memory that's from, from my the genius that you told us about. <laughs> okay, so uh, this is from Basho. Okay. Basho is a seventeenth-century Japanese poet, and the idea of a um, haiku is to kind of photograph a moment so you could actually feel in it. It's often about nature. Coolness of the melons flecked with mud in the morning dew. <laughs> it's beautiful, but I always laugh because they're so spare. Like okay. they're so spare, but they say so much, you know? So how does that, in the 30 seconds we have before we um, jump to break, how does that speak to wabi-sabe? and to the idea of imperfection. Wabi-sabe has to do with an openness to nature. The coolness of the melons, which is the beautiful round melon, glistening in the sunlight. It's flecked with mud as the morning dew passes through. So that mud is the imperfection of the perfection of the melon. Well, with that, what a beautiful uh, lead to break. Um, we will be back very shortly. Please join us. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to One Soul Radio with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome back, everybody, to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. I'm Kelly Alpert. I'm here with spiritual psychotherapist otherwise known as Sensei Steve Hassenberg. <laughs> Since we're in to... Japan today. Oh, that's true. I wasn't even conscious. I wasn't doing that consciously. I just like to do that just to call you that every once in a while. We're talking about the beauty of imperfection, how to become perfectly imperfect, as inspired by the ideology and philosophy of um, Japanese ideology, wabi-sabi, and the idea of polarities and transients and embracing the imperfect 
and the unpredictable and the incomplete. So with that, we're going to take a call. Caller, are you there? I'm here. Yes. Hi. Hi. Can we have your name and where you're calling from? Uh, my name is Lisa, and I'm calling from Santa Monica, California. Hi, Lisa. Nice to have you with us. Thanks for joining. Do you have? Um, do you Thank relate you. to this topic? And do you have a question or a story you'd oh, like to share? I, I do. I totally relate to it, and I, I have a question. It's such a gorgeous philosophy. Wabi sabi. Is that how mm-hmm. you say it? Wabi sabi. Yes. And why do you? Why do you think it's not practiced? in other cultures besides Japanese? Great question. It is a great question. You want me to you yeah, want please, to answer? Yeah, please, because you're more familiar with the actual, the traditional piece of it, and then I can jump in. Okay. So I think you want to take a broad view of it. The Japanese were very uh, informed by Buddhism and by Zen Buddhism, as well as Shintoism. Um, the Buddhism, what Buddhism brought to Japan was a sense of a fleeting world, a temporary experience. It also brought to Japan, or maybe Japan brought to Buddhism, the idea of how precious that fleeting world was. Mm-hmm. And the preciousness came out in all kinds of things, like the tea ceremony, Japanese archery, Japanese flower arrangement. And they did things that were given over to impermanence. And they would find the beauty in that impermanence. So the idea that wabi-sabi came from that makes all the sense in the world to me. Mm. Shintoism is a religion of nature, of... uh, honoring and being devoted to nature spirits. Mm. And so wabi-sabi is a way of opening oneself to nature, not only in its beauty, but in in its uh, horror or in its ugliness or in its difficulty. And understanding that without the dark, there's not the light. Without the ugly, there's not the beautiful. And these are companions on the highway. They're not separate from one another. They give birth to one another. And um, it, it is really central to the Japanese way of life. And it's very deep. And it's not something that's been taken over by any other culture in the same way. So that gives you a sense of the background. Why do you think mm-hmm. it hasn't been taken um, taken over by other cultures, though? It's Jan's a difficult question. thing to embrace that, to open your arms that widely mm-hmm. to something. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly in the West, we're about creating the good, the yeah. beautiful, the perfect, um, the expensive, the most luxurious. Yeah. And it's the Western world is just given to that. That would be a whole study to find out why. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Just also the, a really old culture and a, and, a, and a relatively new culture. I mean, there's just... Yeah, the older right? cultures are more open and accepting of life as it is. Right. And the newer cultures want to bend it, yes. manipulate it like yeah. clay into something that fits. Yeah. 
That's interesting. Have you, Lisa, have you ever been, uh, have you been familiar with this concept before? Do you relate to the idea of imperfection when it comes to you and your relationship with yourself or people around you? I do. Um, how I've uh, uh, had it affected in my life, there was a, uh, a little course um, a few years ago where you would take a piece of pottery and they and you'd break it and then they would teach you how to put it back together using the uh, using this technique and this philosophy. Mm. And, oh wow, that's and cool. And in the crack and in the cracks you would put um, you know the glue, but over the glue you would sprinkle this gold powder. So it turned the broken huh. piece would turn into a whole other transformed piece. I and love it was that. Just, you know you, you just get lost in it. That's gorgeous analogy. That's so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. The trick then is to and be so able what, to uh, uh-huh. reflect it back onto our, ourselves as humans, exactly. because it's easier to do it with objects and nature and other people, isn't it? It is. Yeah. yeah. To embrace that brokenness inside ourselves. Oh, I like how you said that. I think beautiful. that's the whole reflection of the culture of it, right? Mm-hmm. It could be. Yeah, broken. Uh, what I'm reminded well, of. You. What I'm reminded yeah. of is my poetry teacher, poetry, my pottery teacher in New York, who right. was Japanese, and he told us that if you were doing a traditional Japanese pottery class, for the first five years you would build a vessel and then destroy it. Build a vessel and destroy it. Because you would have to get used to the fact that everything is destroyed, that everything is temporary, Mm. that everything is fleeting. And if you get too attached to what you're trying to create, you won't create it with the same beauty. Mm. Actually, you know what you're, um, first of all, I wanna thank our caller for joining us today. So that's that was a great question and it really it prompts way more thoughts. And number one, thank you to you. Um I see we have another caller on the line who we will get to momentarily. Um you know what you just described as Burning Man. Oh I'm just thinking wow. you know, everything. It's like you go to Burning Man. Um we won't get into too much of it. If people know or don't know, you can certainly look up Burning Man very easily. Um and you know a lot tens of thousands of people converge in the deserts of, of Nevada for, you know, one week leading into Labor Day, um, with the exception of last year, obviously. But the whole point is to bring in everything that you there's a lot of different layers to the intention of it in terms of survival and relationship with nature and inter- interdependence with humans and radical expression and all these things. But everybody makes the people build these huge uh, exhibits and installations like the most amazing art and functional art and living art and everything is destroyed before you leave and so much of it has to do with the idea of impermanence so it's just sort of interesting but you're talking about your pottery class and i'm thinking about as a photographer i've been a photographer a hobbyist for i don't know probably about 30 years now and I've always been drawn, um, it's mostly been travel photography and documentary photography. And I've always been drawn to really scrappy items and scrappy faces that have lots of stories, mm-hmm. old and old mm-hmm. inanimate objects and mm-hmm. old buildings and things that are not clean and refined and polished. And I never was conscious of why. I just knew for me they were more soulful. I just had more of a draw mm-hmm. to them. 
And now as we dip a little bit more deeply into it, you see that there are different reasons for our resonance with things that have cracks. I love the way the last caller kind of um, relayed that, the idea of the, you know, the brokenness. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was really great. Even wrinkles are like cracks in the pottery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we try to get rid of wrinkles in this culture. Yeah. Rather than read the, the stories. There are so many stories in the wrinkles. If you're looking at maybe some of your photography. Are you, are you talking about a particular? I do too. I do actually have a lot with like very distinct wrinkles in them. No, I just, might be I, just intuit, I just intuited that about uh, your yeah, photography. Yeah, yeah you're, you're right, because you haven't seen the one that I'm thinking of. I'll have to show it to you. One, uh, very, uh, one specific one I took in Morocco of a woman. Um, let's talk about you. Share this quote. Um, oh, I know. It was, something, it, was a, it was something about the Iranian culture and something that they say when they see somebody that they haven't seen in a while. Yeah, and they'll meet somebody on the street. And they'll say, you look so much older than the last time I saw you. I love that. Which in this culture would be horrifying. Slap in the face. <laughs> but in that culture, it's like, wow, you've deepened your character. Mm, beautiful. You've been through some, from, so, through some difficult things, and you've come out the other end. And I honor you for that. Mm, I love that. That's so good. Imagine if everybody adopted that. Right. How much different a place, uh, world this would be. Wow. So it can see we have another caller on the line here. Caller, are you with us? Oh, yes, I'm definitely with you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm so glad you're with us. Hi, what's your name and where are you calling from? Uh, my name is Paul, and I'm calling from San Diego, California. And I, I, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about me, and then I want you to get to weigh in on having a balanced wabi-sabi picture here. Uh, <laughs> I'm, a physi- I'm a physician, and uh, I've spent 40 years mostly in cardiac surgery rooms. Mm. And recently, last week, a very dear friend of ours suddenly died. And in conversation with his wife, um, you know, I, I was mentioning to her, you know, the saving grace through all of this is deep, deep love. And she said to me, Paul, you may not remember this, but 10, uh, ten years or so ago, I called you up. They lived in Lake Placid, New York at that time. I called you up and told you that Tom... Um, had uh, a heart event, and he was in the hospital in Lake Placid. And um, they were going to keep him for six days and then, you know, do a stress test and send him home. And if that didn't work out, they were going to fly him uh, to, you know, a center. And I said to Glenda, I said, get him out of there right now. Wake up the doctor and send them to Fletcher Allen in Burlington. And Glenda, you know, got out of bed, went to the hospital and did that. And she reminded me of that. She said, Paul, you know, these last 10 years are largely a result of you and what happened that night. Mm Because I, mm. Tom wouldn't have survived if that didn't happen. Wow. So mm-hmm. I reflect. I refl- I'm almost done with this. I reflect back um, over my life, and I have helped 
tens of thousands of patients, and I've probably been a major part of life-saving of maybe a hundred. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when Glenda brought that up, I went, wow, yeah, but that's exactly the way it should go. That's, that's the way life is. That's what we're here for. Mm-hmm. We're here to have a perfect outcome. And so I focus. I don't think about that at all. I say, thank you, God. That's the way it's supposed to go. I focus on the maybe five or seven over my whole career that were absolutely horrible, crappy, unexpected outcomes. So my wabi-sabi is definitely not balanced. And I suspect that it's like that for many, many, many perfectionists. So how do we balance better? Uh. Well, first of all, that's a beautiful story, and thank you for sharing it, and blessings to everybody, um, to your friend's family and everybody who loved him. So that's number one for your loss. Um, and number two, beautiful just description of your of your professional timeline, the work that you do, and your, um, and your honesty around it also. And I also think, again, you know, a lot of people would say that some, some perfectionism is required in certain industries. Steve was alluding to that earlier with... Uh, some of his clients in different categories of, of industry. So perhaps a little tad of, you know, a little dose of perfectionism here and there is a motivating factor or keeps people in certain professions very clear and focused as well. You know, not for me to, not for me to say. Um, but your, so your question is, how do you focus on the, uh, the, the, uh, the positive the more, instead of the, yeah, the more mm-hmm. positive aspect and not beat oneself up over when it doesn't go perfectly. Yeah. Do you have a uh, any version of a daily practice? Oh, uh, yes. I meditate daily and I uh, have positive affirmations and uh, I exercise and eat well. And, you know, I am doing everything possible. And, right. you know, I mean, my life has been like that for a long time. So it's, it's not an acute issue. But, mm-hmm. you know, with Tom's passing, it just brought up how yeah. I do not emphasize the positive at all. And if the negative happens, it's, oh, what's the matter with you? <laughs> what did will... you do or what did you do that, <laughs> you know, you shouldn't have done, right? Yeah, well, I think um, we've, I don't, um, I'm not sure what time, when you joined us today, if you heard the whole show, but certainly that's human nature and we're all really good at focusing on negative challenges, negative people. I mean, just sort of as our human reflex, often we have to unlearn it. <clears throat> the one thing I'd like to hear Steve's weigh in on this, but the one thing that I just heard um, in your uh, sort of your arsenal of different um, tools that you use every day is the affirmations thing. And affirmations certainly are, can be really powerful. Um but sometimes I feel like when people uh, use affirmations, they're coming from their head instead of their heart space. I don't know if this is true for you. You know, when you write words on your mirror and you say them and you repeat them and there's like a militantism perhaps about it versus making the distinction of getting in touch with celebrating yourself um, while you're meditating, perhaps, or picking one thing that you're really mm-hmm. happy about that you conquered in the you know the week, or that you summoned up some strength for a difficult situation, or something that gets you more into your body. I don't know if that distinction resonates for you. I'm happy to jump in. Please do. Okay. So this is something I use with my clients, and um, I'll try to make it as simple as possible. But if you can imagine the part of yourself that 
is not receiving your goodness, that part of yourself needs your loving, tender care. There are parts of yourself that feel unloved and their tendency, the tendency of those parts, we call, I call them subpersonalities, is to glom on to things that don't work, to remind you of how inept you are or where you failed. And so those subpersonalities that remind you of how you failed need more love, need more attention, need more time from you. And they're kind of knocking on your door each time saying, this is not finished in me. You need to help me. You need to inspire me. You need to raise me up. You need to love me. And um, if you try some of that, you could even call us back in a couple of weeks and we'll give you a challenge. If you do that every day for a few minutes and call us back, I think you'll see that those aspects have softened and you'll have a little bit more balanced wabi-sabi. <laughs> but that is That's what beautiful. I've used Thank for you. myself and it's what I use for my clients. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you very, very much. Appreciate it. You bet. Thank you, Paul. Thank you great, for sharing. Great the, uh, story, by the way. Beautiful story. Thank Love you. that story. And for the work that you do as well. And we we want to honor you for all your great work in saving so many people and lives and all of that. Amen. Definitely. Thank you so much yeah. for joining. Thanks. So just to get back to what you said, and then we'll go into our um, our action steps for today um, that you just offered to Paul. How do you, um, you said to recognize where your goodness, where you're not letting your goodness in or where you're not receiving your goodness. Right. And you have oh, to you identify where that, yeah, I just wanted to expand on that. I think that might be the core, one of the most important bottom lines of the show. Okay, so, so we all have um, parts of ourselves that are very developed. And we have parts of ourselves that are very undeveloped, mm -hmm. <laughs> highly undeveloped. Yes, we do. And they tend to suck our energy. And our, our first move with those is to try to get as far away as possible. But they do what Paul was talking about. They remind us over and over again of our failings. They remind us of our weakness they remind us of our failures. They're reminding us of those things because they need help. It's right. not, they're not trying to punish us, even though it feels that way. Right. They're saying, can you help me? Right. So it's a matter of really identifying where those places are in you that are not letting in the love and the light. Yeah, and they're going to come up all the time. They can mm -hmm. come up in uh, nightmares. They can come up in dreams. They can come up in relationships. And they're, again, they're not to uh, batter you and make you feel bad. They're, ba they're there so you remember that it's an area of your psyche that you have neglected. Those little entities that we have to look yeah, at as gifts are. instead of punishment. And the other version of um, the one that we haven't really talked much about today is the is the negative self-talk that so many of us are really good at. We don't even know we're doing it half the time. It's just like, 
We should, maybe we should. Maybe we should. Just on negative self-speak or self-talk, what's the expression? Right. So our action steps so that we can help people. And these, I think these are fun. These are a little bit different um, in ways to help uh, help people embody their or appreciate their in, imperfection, become perfectly imperfect in a way that's comfortable and embracing. And, and the intention being to really ease up on yourselves and find space around these things that we do to um, put pressure on ourselves and ask too much of ourselves and then others in, in the process. The first one is go into nature. I feel like we should have our listeners document, do little uh, videos documenting some of the action steps when they do them. And we could really peek into like their experiences. And yeah, they kind could of, kind send of fun, them to us, right? right? They could. Um, so the first one, go into nature, find something that is not conventionally beautiful to you. So look at a you know, I get freaked out by mushrooms that are growing on trees, for example. Really? Like, I don't find them beautiful. Yeah, they scare me. Oh, wow. Or snakes. I'll try to, you know, things I like that. I won't have my spaghetti and mushrooms there <laughs> when you come over. I like a good truffle um, oil, though, but just oh, not the actual okay. Um, find something that's not conventionally beautiful to you. And then be with it. Just, just be with it. Just give it some time and space. Stare at it. Draw a picture of it, think about it, talk about it, talk to it, whatever it is, until you start seeing it in a different way. I think that's a lot of fun. It reminds me of, I, I said this to Steve um, when we were talking about our action steps, there's a scene in that movie Magnolia from way back when in the 90s, and there's a paper, a plastic bag, like a plastic little bag from a store or something blowing in the breeze, and there's a whole scene around it, and I've never looked at a plastic bag the same since because it was so beautiful giving mm -hmm. it so much attention in a way that I'd never seen before. The second one is to look in the mirror and find a part of yourself that you tend to criticize. I think most of us can do that pretty readily and see if you can start to love it based on how it functions, like its functionality. Try to recognize it not for maybe the, the physical things that you notice, but how it helps your beautiful body to function. Like your nose, not yours. <laughs> that's okay I don't take it personally <laughs> but if people don't like their noses and I've gotten a lot of clients really who, who feel that way uh -huh. Interesting. then I say what would your life be like without it <laughs> and so appreciate the breathing that you do mm, that's the idea of the functionality yeah and the smell of beautiful sense of the earth that's that's cute um and then thirdly pick a simple daily activity and intentionally take twice as long to do it. So whether that's eating a raisin, that's the classic like mindfulness exercise, right? Take a raisin and eat it for like 15 minutes um, or brushing your teeth or it, it can be anything. And just get used to slowing down. The intention of this exercise being about um, more about being and creating space around your activities rather than speeding through them. That's so these are all. Can I mention something? Yeah, of course. That's like the slow food movement in Europe, where they really spend time not just enjoying the food, enjoying and savoring the taste, but also enjoying the companionship and taking hours every night, maybe singing afterwards with some wine. They're enjoying language, and savoring bro. their life. I know this is you, Callie. You know this stuff really turns me on a lot because I should I'm, be living in Provence. I know. I, I'm very, very good at these things. So thank you for describing my my fantasy life. Um, so again, just to repeat quickly, go into nature, find something that is not conventionally beautiful to you, 
and be with it until you start seeing it in a different way. Secondly, look in the mirror, find a part of your body that you don't tend to um, give as much love to as it deserves and try to look at it from a perspective of functionality as opposed to um, the same lens that you've looked at it from um, for your whole life. And then finally, pick a simple daily activity and intentionally take twice as long as you usually do to, to do it. Get used to the idea of slowing down and being versus doing, remembering that you don't have anything to prove to anybody. That's always a good one. So with that, this was a fun show. Wasn't it? Yeah. Um, kudos to you for, for bringing this topic to me. Um, I feel better now about my imperfections. I'm so glad. So do yeah. I. I'm going to go celebrate mine, I think. All right, good. Um, so we want to thank everybody for listening. We want to thank our callers for participating. Thank you to Unity Online Radio. You can find us on their podcast um, and their archive under our show page. You can find us on Instagram at One Soul Radio, on Facebook at One Soul Radio Podcast. And um, we're very welcoming of any topics that you want to pitch to us questions that you'd like answered. We're really looking for your uh, engagement and um, the idea of building a community. And next week, our show is Discovering Your Emotional Intelligence. So please join us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.